Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin, and welcome to the show where we talk about all things to do with personal finance or topics that investors themselves are talking about. Today, we shine the focus on the trade deal that symbolizes how trade can deepen without the U.S. After nearly a decade of deliberation, 15 Asian nations came together on November 15th, just three days ago, to sign the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. Now, what does this mean for trade competition and what are the broad benefits of RCEP that investors should be aware of? Next, there's been a big switch to traditionally unloved stocks. The good vaccine news has sparked quite a shake-up in the stock market. You've heard the term rotation used so often. Should you make the switch to stocks that were left behind because of the pandemic? Then we look ahead to Biden's first 100 days, traditionally a good time for value stocks versus growth stocks. And finally, we'll end with a look at green shoots or sectors or companies that are seeing some signs of revival with COVID-19 cases under control here in Singapore. My guest speaker weighs in on all our questions today. Time to welcome Wilfred Lim. He's Executive Director with BMFA Wealth Management. How are you? Good morning. Hi, morning, Michelle. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Always great to speak with you. All right, let's start with RCEP, which is easily the world's largest trade agreement. It includes 20 chapters of rules. They cover trade in goods, e-commerce, investment, government procurement, intellectual property. It's a long list. Broadly, the goal is to increase rules-based economic interaction amongst the members. But goods tariffs are not high in this region, and many Asian economies already have existing bilateral free trade agreements in place already. So, Wilfred, help us understand how RCEP could make ASEAN an attractive investor destination. Do you think it will? Yes, I think overall it will, uh, but there are some criticisms. So, the full details are not out yet, uh, but based on available information, uh, it seems that it will complement uh, and enhance our long-standing you know, ASEAN free trade area that we already have since the 90s, I think. Yeah, uh, and this also sends out a strong message uh, from China, especially uh, in terms of the timing and breadth uh, of this agreement. So, as you mentioned, it's been about eight years since negotiations started. Uh, along the way, Trump has pulled the U.S. out of the TPP uh, back in 2017. Uh, and it also includes countries like South Korea, Japan and Australia, uh, which in recent times you know, have come into some friction with China. So for them to put that aside and uh, include them in this agreement, I think that sends a strong message. Right? So this is definitely a welcome uh, development for Asia and ASEAN. Uh, in light of what, what's happening with COVID and Trump pushing the world towards uh, deglobalization. Yeah, but uh, however, there are some analysts um, that think that the deal uh, is likely only to benefit uh, China, Japan, and Korea more uh, than the other states. Uh, you know, but it, we'll have to see because these agreements, it took eight years to materialize. Um, so it took eight years to, you know, get it out there, but it will take another few more years to materialize any benefits. So it's anyone's guess at this point in time. Mm. Yeah, but the, the message overall, it's a strong one coming out from Asia. And do we think that China, Japan, uh, Japan, South Korea are going to benefit because these are countries that don't have bilateral FTAs with each other? 
Yeah, I guess so. So, um, you know, it's it's something new, uh, not building on existing uh, agreements that we have uh, within ASEAN. Uh, but if we were to look um, into ASEAN itself, well, for Singapore, we'll, we'll definitely uh, benefit from this because we are very heavily reliant on trade and tourism. You know, so China itself makes up uh, 16% of our exports. Yeah, but um, one ASEAN country um, that particularly stands out to me is Vietnam. Hmm. So based on many factors, uh, the three of them that I, I, I thought it's worth mentioning is their proximity to China. They have a lot of uh, existing you know, infrastructure between the two countries already. And with uh, rising labor costs in China, there are many industries that are moving their production and manufacturing operations out of China into Vietnam. Um, and also, interestingly, they have a very young demographic. You know, we've been hearing uh, throughout the world that we're facing an aging population, not only in Japan, but even in Singapore. Uh, but for Vietnam, they have 70% of their population that's actually below 35 years old. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and a very high percentage, 76% uh, of uh, participation in the labor force. You compare this to Europe, they only have about 56% participation. Yeah, and lastly, they are in an emerging market sweet spot, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of emerging markets, they are too um, backwards, I would say, in terms of infrastructure and government support. Uh, but Vietnam is just starting to, in the past few years, uh, getting the government or the government is getting behind uh, support for foreign investments as well as infrastructure developments. So definitely a country to look out for going okay. forward. So in terms of emerging economies, most likely to benefit from increased investor interest, you're putting uh, your bets on Vietnam. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. All right. Terrific. Next, let's talk about that. What what investors see as a historic switch because of that positive vaccine news. Um, value stocks have... Uh, seen an incredible rebound, so to speak. There's been quite a shake-up in global equities and investors are wondering whether they should switch in favour of those stocks that were left behind in the pandemic era, which are now soaring. So what do you make of uh, the rotation to cheap value stocks from the trendy momentum names? Well, I think right now the markets are going to be very fickle. Uh, we saw that after Pfizer announced the vaccine, uh, there was a huge uh, move into value names and then it got sold off really quickly. Tech uh, came back into favor shortly and then Moderna announced, uh, you know, and then it, it's a rotation in and out, back and forth. Yeah. You know, so for, for the novice uh, uh, investors who are not used to this kind of volatility, I would say um, stick to the, the principles and strategies uh, that have been working for you. Yeah, so when, when you consider value stocks, I think what's most important is we have to find value, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, it, it should not be mistaken as, you know, uh, blindly buying uh, beaten down stocks in the travel and entertainment sectors. Uh, I mean, if, if Hertz were still around, I think they're, they're delisted already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you blindly buy into a company like Hertz that's going through cash flow problems, bankruptcy issues and all that, uh, you, you may stand to lose money, even though there's a rotation into these sectors. Yeah, so the different strategies of value investing, um, are, just to name a few, I would say um, there's intrinsic value you know, calculations, uh, many different ways of calculating it. Uh, Warren Buffett has his own, own uh, strategies. Uh, he's just investing into the big four pharma names uh, recently. Yep. So that's something to look out for. Yeah, uh, we also have um, 
price to book uh, investing, where we look at companies that are below price to book uh, of one, or at least you know below the historical average. Uh, I, I took a quick look at the Singapore banking sector. Uh, DBS is at about 1.2, while UB and OCBC are at 0.9 uh, price to book. So we, we got a question as well: Why is there a difference? You know, does it mean anything? Uh, and, and should we just go into UOB, OCBC, just because they are, uh, in a way, cheaper than DBS at this point in time? Yeah. Then uh, we have dividend investing as well. Uh, many attractive uh, companies now paying dividends uh, uh, in excess of you know four or five percent. AT and T giving seven percent. Philip Morris six percent. Uh, Shell at about four point five percent. So um, there are many ways to go about this investing into value stocks. Uh, I guess what's important is uh, we need to find a suitable uh, mix of these different factors. Yeah, and, and also examine, examine why uh, these companies are considered cheap uh, in terms of valuations at this point in time and how the company can weather the next few quarters uh, of rising COVID cases. So even though a vaccine is being rolled out, uh, I expect it to take you know, maybe two or three quarters at least to, to, for us to get back to normal. Uh, and that's that optimistic according to, to the experts out there. Just terrific. So much insight there. He's uh, our guest today is Wilfred Lim, Executive Director of BMFA Wealth Management. So still on the theme of value stocks and there was terrific insight there into, you know, not just buying batted down stocks. If we put value stocks in um, historical context, on average, value stocks far outperform growth stocks in the first 100 days following a U.S. president's inauguration. So what do you expect for value stocks with a Biden presidency? What are you expecting from Biden's first 100 days? Is it meant, are you looking at it as a significant period for value stocks? Um, it's quite it's quite mixed actually. Um, if I were to bring up the the three big agendas that I expect him to uh, to be addressing in his first hundred days, um, definitely handling of the COVID situation. Uh, I mean, right now over in the US, it, it's a it's a mess at this point in time. So he has his uh, work cut out for him. Um, so it's uh, you know it's interesting to see that his new um, COVID advisor is saying that the next two months will be the most dangerous period in the U.S. Mm. Uh, you know there are a lot of hospitals in some states that are being pushed to their breaking points in terms of capacity, uh, and he has also suggested uh, an idea of a six-week lockdown to to curb this uh, rising cases. Uh, you know, we're already seeing four states uh, implementing new restrictions without any uh, national guidance from Biden that's out yet. You know, so um, although it will be unpopular, uh, but if the COVID case does worsen, uh, a, a nationwide lockdown may be implemented uh, based on the advice uh, from from uh, Biden's advisor. Uh, and we could see a very quick rotation back into, you know, your work from home names again and out of the value stocks. So I would be uh, wary of that at this point in time. Yeah. Um, second thing on the agenda is the fiscal stimulus. Uh, it's been put on hold since uh, September, I think, so a few months already uh, due to the elections. Uh, so Biden seems to be, you know, fighting for Main Street now. Uh, so the plan is to push through the second uh, COVID fiscal package uh, to Main Street and small businesses. Uh, however, this may prove difficult uh, because of the divided Senate uh, after the elections. 
but you know, I'm I'm hopeful for this. Uh, if passed, this will likely be positive not only for the value sector. I think uh, the entire market. Uh, as a whole, uh, but something to look out for is the commodity sector, uh, if we consider that value, mm. uh, because right now the markets are flooded with liquidity and cash, mm-hmm. uh, and if if uh, vaccine-led recovery, you know, it will push uh, demand back up, and we could see uh, inflation, and this could see the commodity sector doing well in particular. Okay. Yeah. Uh, broadly, what is shaping your investment policy till the end of this year? I mean, we just heard news today that Masayoshi Son is sitting on about $80 billion in cash. He's expecting, um, you know, more negative news ahead. This is sort of counter the, the narrative of positive vaccine news. Um, what, what, what is shaping your investment policy for the rest of 2020? Well, uh, I'm still, I'm actually quite um, still bullish towards the end of the year. Uh, cautiously bullish. I think this phrase is overused, but uh, you know we have to be cautious. So I'm expecting a center rally going into the end of the year because um, there are a lot of uh, big institutional funds that are underweight um, the equities market, uh, particularly because of the election. Uh, and right now with vaccine news coming out. Um, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. so it's it's not um, the uncertainty is less now. So um, I don't I don't foresee a, a big uh, shakeup in the markets. Uh, even if the U.S. does go into lockdown, uh, I think it will be implemented in a controlled uh, measure mm-hmm. and not a, a blanket, you know, lockdown that will. will shut down the entire economy like you did in, in March and April. Are you also basing this on an expectation that, you know, according to Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, interest rates are hovering near zero and they're not going up anytime soon, so that easy money is going to continue to boost asset prices in the year ahead? Yes. Um, to me, that's a given. Uh, it will be tough for him to, to raise interest rates at this point in time. Um, I think it, it will only change if we start seeing inflation creeping in um, you know, at least above 2% before he changes his narrative. Mm. All right, let's turn to Singapore. Investors still continuing to assess which portions of the economy could flourish and which may not moving forward. Are you seeing any green shoots for sectors or companies uh, given the COVID situation seems to be under control here? Yeah, so I'm thankful to be, you know, staying in Singapore. Um, I do feel safe so much so that I do tend to forget to wear my mask every now and then. <laughs> and I have to turn back and put on my mask again. Uh, but okay, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Singapore stock market uh, relative to the immense opportunities out there in, in other, the other markets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and only a handful of listed companies I see uh, that are able to adopt and pivot you know, with innovative business strategies uh, be it due to COVID or even before that. Yeah, uh, so <clears throat> the Singapore's domestic market is too small for, for companies to thrive. Uh, so even if we get it under control and we have zero cases in Singapore, if the rest of the world is in lockdown or struggling with their cases, uh, it's, it's hard for us to do well. Yeah, so, but there are certain uh, bright spots I see in Singapore. Uh, even before the COVID situation was under control, uh, we have the banking sector that's pretty strong. Uh, DBS in particular is holding up well. Uh, and, and it's interesting to see them continually innovate and digitize the, the entire 
uh, you know, business. Uh, we have fintech as well. Um, IFAS has been performing very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they are AUMs, uh, AUAs have grown uh, tremendously because of increase in investing activity. Uh, tech sector, it's, uh, it's quite lacking in the Singapore markets. We, we can't really find a lot of prominent uh, tech names in Singapore. But if I have to pick some, I think the data center uh, uh, reads are, are quite attractive. Capital DC in particular, uh, as well as maybe the logistic reads uh, that are benefiting from the e-commerce uh, spike uh, this year. Fantastic. And lastly, ahead, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. And lastly, uh, for commodities, I uh, mentioned it earlier. So Wilma is is one of them that's quite uh, positioned quite well to benefit if uh, commodities does pick up uh, due to inflation going forward. All right, uh, a treasure trove there. What do you think of aviation? You know, Bill Gates is expecting 50% of business travel to disappear in a post-COVID world. So what do you think of aviation here in Singapore? Yes, so aviation in Singapore, if if we were to look at SIA, right, um, they've seen a, a big bounce due to the vaccine news recently. Um, but it will be tough, uh, you know, with, co- with the vaccine taking some time to roll out um, the case is still high and, you know, and you add that on to Bill Gates saying that only 50% of business travel will come back. Uh, so if I were to look at the aviation sector, I would look at uh, companies with some domestic uh, business like in China and the U.S. Uh, rather than, you know, international carriers only with, with no domestic um, business. All right. Well, thank you so much. As always, terrific speaking with you, Wilfred. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. He's Wilfred Lim, Executive Director, BMFA Wealth Management here on Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.